Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Two words, Lucas Giolito. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today on a Wednesday, August 26th. Frank Stample alongside Scott White, and we have our first no-hitter of the season. Lucas Giolito was tremendous. He's not just the, oh my goodness gracious, player of the night. How about the season? I'll just press a bunch of buttons right oh. now, and, and we'll congratulate Lucas Giolito, because that's how awesome he was. How about this? Mercy! Yeah, Mercy! gotta get a little hawk in there. It's a White Sox night. And of all the dramatic things I've ever seen, this is one of the most dramatic things that I have seen, at least so far this season, Scott. So uh, if there's any way to get us started, we'll just press a bu- bunch of buttons, have some fun. And Lucas Giolito, wow. Yeah, it was a dominant performance. I, I didn't catch all of it. I tuned in toward the end, but like even deep in the game, he was just mowing down Pirates hitters like they... <laughs> not even working deep counts that third time through the lineup. It just, they had no chance against him. And uh, second straight start with both 13 strikeouts and one walk for Lucas Giolito. So, I mean, clearly the, the change-up's back. But really, I mean, he was dominating with all of his pitches today. 31 swinging strikes, 30 swinging strikes. Um, <laughs> well distributed between the fastball, change-up, and slider. I happened to catch, because uh, I also watched part of the previous start when he had 13 strikeouts, uh, and the broadcasting team was talking about how the, the White Sox are going to try consciously pairing him with James McCann now. And uh, that seems to be working out pretty well because this is, you know, he was a little slow out of the gate, Lucas Giolito. And it, since that, you know, there, there, there was a case to be made. Oh, oh was he a one-hit wonder in 2019? Um, I was never really that worried about that, but I mean, these last two starts have obviously turned things around dramatically. And now he's in the discussion. Is he a top five pitcher in fantasy? Because he is just even better than he was for most of last year. Yeah, he was ridiculous on Tuesday night. The no hitter, just one walk, 13 strikeouts. Scott, you mentioned what he's done over his past two starts, 17 innings pitched, three hits, two walks, 26 strikeouts for Lucas Giolito. Let me remind you that two years ago, Giolito led all qualified starting pitchers with a 6.13 ERA. So this is just a fantastic story. And I was watching the broadcast tonight as well. And they talked about him and James McCann talking a lot recently and working together. And shout out to Jason Benetti. I think he's done a fantastic job on the White Sox broadcast. But yeah, I think he is right in that conversation. He's Worthy of being back inside the top 10 starting pitchers. The past two matchups have been very good. It's been the Tigers and the Pirates. But look, 
this is what you're supposed to do against those teams. And I, I don't see anyone else throwing no hitters. So <laughs> I think uh, I think Lucas Gilito is is worthy of that top ten praise and could potentially be working on on the top five, seeing how he closes out the next month or so of the season. Uh, but yeah, he was absolutely fantastic. But let's move on to the actual. Oh my goodness gracious! Players of the night outside of Lucas Gilito. Oh my good goodness gracious! All right, Scott. I'm just going to take this away, and it seems like every every podcast now I'm I have a, an apology for someone, apology for fantasy owners, and it's this time it's for Tyler Glass now. And I had a few tweets come my way on Tuesday night, and rightfully so because just on yesterday's podcast I said, you know what, in a points league I would take Aaron Savale over Tyler Glass now, and you know what Tyler Glass now did? Boom. Right in my eye. Seven innings pitched, five hits, two earned, one walk, 13 strikeouts for Glass. Now 24 swinging strikes against the Orioles on 96 pitches. He used his curveball 50% of the time in this start. That is the most of his career. But I think the biggest takeaway for Glass now in this one, and this is what will correlate with his success moving forward, is the command and not walking people because he had just one walk in this start, 17 first pitch strikes to 27 batters that he faced. Glass now was great, Scott, and this is exactly what we needed to see from him. Mm, yes, it's it's good that you're now seeing the glass full on glass now. <laughs> um, I wish I had a, I don't have the drum roll soundboard yeah. anymore, but, but that's okay. It was, I regret it already, but <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's the thing that we all have to try to remember just how 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 small a sample one month of time is in in a baseball context and why you have to remember that like i understand tyler glass now had been a disappointment to this point uh his longest start prior to the seven inning effort was five and two thirds innings last time out. And I think that was his first five inning start. So he hadn't even gone the minimum for a quality start yet. Uh, but what you have to remember is like, if you believe the skills are still intact, then you should trust that the production will come over time. Eventually, eventually it'll come. And you can't say exactly when eventually is, but it's it's sooner than later. And uh, it, it, it's come now for Glass now and uh, shouldn't really have any thoughts about removing him from your lineup. I think from this point forward, uh, yeah, I'm not sure who's who had quite the pitching depth to consider removing him prior to this, but now I think it's 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 definite that that shouldn't be something you consider. Today on the show, by the way, we're going to uh, reveal our final trade targets. I know the trade deadline in real baseball and in fantasy baseball is approaching. So uh, some buy low, some sell high candidates, top five starting pitchers for next season, some Tuesday standouts, and a whole bunch more that I doubt that we'll get to because that's what I always do here on the show. But Scott, I mean, I think most people, whenever they see performances like this, and I think we've already received a few emails tonight, are going to ask, should I try and sell high? Like, is this the time where... I should be looking to move a player like Glass now or Giolito, and to that you would say blank. Uh, no, no, I don't think. I I think given how dominant they have the potential to be at a position where you you really can't have enough, 
because there there aren't enough to go around and it's it's basically half the game in fantasy. I just don't think you're going to find a return that's to your satisfaction. Like to trade a hit a pitcher of this caliber, you have to get a pitcher of this caliber back. And and like, I just don't see many people making that trade. If if they're trading for, if they're if they're going to go crazy for a pitcher who just had an amazing start, it's probably because they're really desperate for pitching and they're not giving up a pitcher that's anywhere close to that. It never hurts to try. I just don't think it's it's especially realistic. Gilito, top 10 is where he's going to be in my rest of season rankings. Glass now, I think I moved him up to 19. So like it's it's they're legitimately high end at a position where that like a high end pitcher is the most valuable thing in fantasy baseball right now. Fair enough, Scott. So we had Gilito, we have Glass now. Uh your oh my goodness gracious player, your standout from Tuesday. Who would you like to highlight, Scott? I would like to highlight Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker doing big things. Oh, I just realized they played a doubleheader today, so this math probably isn't totally right. But I can adjust on the fly. Okay, so in the second game of that doubleheader, he went two for three with a triple. That makes him 12 for 24 with three home runs now in his last eight games. And uh, you look at his full season numbers, they're looking... They're starting to look pretty good. They're starting to look pretty good. A slash line now for Kyle Tucker of 262, 328, 551. Uh, the expected stats look even better than that. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like now that the playing time, like they're, there's really no reason to question how much he's going to be in the lineup. He, like he's found that stability in a major league lineup finally after – you know, this is year three of us begging for it. Uh, it, it. It seems like he's he's starting to settle in and look like the guy we were seeing in the minors, and that could be a very productive player in fantasy. So uh, things are looking up for Kyle Tucker. They definitely are, and you know what? If I'm going to apologize to everybody for Tyler Glass now, I'm going to give myself a little bit of a pat on the back for Kyle Tucker because I believe it was last week, uh, once Jordan Alvarez went down and we knew he was having season-ending surgery, I said, you know, I think Kyle Tucker's just about to take off. And last four games in particular, he's batting right in the middle of the lineup, fourth or fifth, uh, and he's getting it done, man. So you you look, you hit on it, Scott, too. It's triple slash looks good. He's, he's batting well against lefties. Kyle Tucker uh, looks like that stud. We all thought that he could be now that he is getting some playing time. News and notes. All right, finally, Mike Clevenger will be recalled and will start on Wednesday for Cleveland. It will be his first start since August 5th. And I'll assume he might be on a pitch count as a result of that. I guess we'll see. And he's going up against the Minnesota Twins, so not really the greatest matchup. But people are asking again, what do we do with Zach Plesak? Yeah, so the GM or president of baseball ops, I can't remember officially what title their front office leader has, but... Uh, he uh, he had a conversation with him about how they just don't have a spot in the rotation for him right now, Zach Plesak, which, you know, if if they're rolling with Tristan McKenzie, it is true because, you know, everyone else in the rotation, Bieber, Carrasco, Savale, they're obviously not coming out. So that's true. Uh, now, I think Plesak is 10 days into what would be an 18-day stretch 
if he's down for 18 days, they get that extra year of service time. I don't know why they want to follow through on that at this point. So I would suspect he'll be down for at least another week thereabouts. I'm sure there will be an opening at some point for him. It's, 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 it's more likely than not that something will happen to create an opening there. Uh, and, and as good as he's been, and I believe in, like in terms of head-to-head points per game, he's top five or definitely top 10 among all starting pitchers Zach Plesak is this year. I'd continue to stash him. Yeah, I mean, like that's the main question. People are trying to figure out should they drop him? It, it's tough to hold mm-hmm. someone this long. I get it. And you you know, you can't even stash him on the IL. So yeah, he's but, he's third right now in fantasy points per game behind only Bieber and Trevor Bauer. So, but that's that gets back to what starting pitcher looks like right now. Like we we keep taking all these shots on starting pitchers off the waiver wire just in the hope they can become something halfway stable. And like, please, I give a pretty good reason to believe is is good, maybe even very good. And uh, I I think in any league where there's a bench, given given how impactful a pitcher of that ca- uh, a player of that caliber can be at that position specifically, I think it definitely makes sense to continue to stash him. You're playing a man down, I get it, but that's uh. That's kind of what the bench is for, is for stashing upside. up. Yeah, keeping upside plays in reserve like that. Yeah, and there's been some speculation that the Indians could trade Mike Clevenger. So if they're showcasing him uh, for Wednesday start, they trade him before the deadline. Then, you know, after those 18 days are up, we could see Plesak as soon as next week. Again, just speculation, but uh, we'll see what happens with the MLB trade I, deadline. I, I have my doubts about that. Just but like the Indians are good, they're good. They have uh, one of the best pitching staffs in the league. He's, you know, their they offense couple, is not very. Couple good. more years of control with Clevenger, they could win the World Series this year, and Clevenger could be a big part of that. So I'm I'm skeptical it's a trade situation, but I suppose time will tell. The Yankees and the Braves game was postponed Tuesday, delaying Ian Anderson's debut. The two teams will play a doubleheader on Wednesday. It's also worth noting that before the postponement, Aaron Judge was activated for the Yankees and Clint Frazier was not in the lineup. Scott, what would you set the dropometer at for Clint Frazier if he's not going to play every day? Yeah, that's that's an unfortunate situation because they lost that weekend of games against the Mets and it just destroyed his momentum. And, you know, Judge is back. Uh, it's pretty high. Drop-o-meter. You know, like a 15-team, five outfielder league, probably probably keeping him around, but anything shallower than that? Looking at like an eight or nine for the drop-o-meter, as deep as outfield has become. Yeah, it's, it's a tough situation, but I just don't see how he's going to play. The original lineup had Mike Talkman batting fourth, so... <laughs> um. We'll see what happens regarding the Yankees. Ronald Acuna and Nick Markakis were both activated off the IL on Tuesday as well, which meant Christian Pache was sent back down to the Braves' alternate site. Ozzie Albies hit from both sides of the plate without incident Tuesday and is getting closer to a return. David O'Brien of The Athletic reports, no official timetable, but this is obviously positive news. Keone Kella, who is dealing with a forearm injury, was available Tuesday for the Pirates. Obviously, it was not used because his team was no hit. Um, 
I'd still hold Richard Rodriguez in deeper leagues because I wouldn't be surprised if the Pirates try and trade Keone Kella with the trade deadline approaching as well. Uh, and I think Richard Rodriguez would probably be the next man up. Justin Turner, who was dealing with a hamstring injury, was back in the lineup for the Dodgers. Charlie Blackman was also back in action for the Rockies. Josh Donaldson is playing in Twins inter-squad games, which sounds like he's close, but there is no formal timetable uh, for his return yet. Manager Rick Renteria said Tuesday that Nick Madrigal requires, quote, at least a few more days at the team's alternate training site before returning. James Fegan of The Athletic Reports still sounds like he could be back in the next week or so. Again, that is Nick Madrigal. Nathan Avaldi's start was pushed back from Wednesday to Saturday this week. The only thing that really changes is that Avaldi will now not be a two-star pitcher for next week, which is unfortunate. Charlie Morton threw another successful 25-pitch bullpen on Tuesday, which is a good sign, but there has been no official timetable for Charlie Morton, at least that I haven't seen. And then Anthony Bass was unavailable Monday when Jordan Romano got the save, but is but was available Tuesday against the Red Sox, and manager Charlie Montoyo said he is comfortable with either pitcher saving games. So, yay. <laughs> bullpen, Scott. <laughs> this is... And Ken Giles might not be more than a couple weeks away, too. He's been throwing some bullpens as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's... Yeah, I I, th- I still think Jordan Romano is the one I want of that group for now. And I'd probably rank Bass third behind Giles. But it's... The, yeah, we're going to see a few different guys get saves there between now and the end of the season. Speaking of bullpens, by the way, we know how fun the Tampa Bay Rays always are. And a gentleman named Edgar Garcia picked up the save... On Tuesday, the other day, it was John Curtis. So moving forward, whenever the Rays pick up a save, we're going to have a new segment here on the show. Send us your name in an email. Put Rays reliever in the subject line. Next time someone gets a save for this team, I'll either say the reliever's name or the Fantasy Baseball Today listener. Scott will try and figure out which one it is, (laughs) whether it's a Fantasy Baseball Today listener or an actual Rays reliever because... The past two saves, I have no, I've never heard of these relievers in my life, and those are the gentlemen who are picking up saves for this Major League Baseball team. Uh, getting back to the Blue Jays, though, Travis Shaw exited Tuesday's game against the Red Sox with right knee discomfort. He should be considered day-to-day. Bo Bichette was cleared for baseball activities this weekend, so we may see him early to mid-September. And Nate Pearson was diagnosed with a flexor strain. Uh, Scott... Is this uh-oh time for Pearson in Dynasty Leagues? I don't think so. No, I mean, I wonder about his availability for this season, but... Oh, I, yeah, no, I think I already saw something that said he's done for this year. Okay, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I imagine he'll be rested and ready to go by next year. I mean, do you have concerns? No, no, I just hope this doesn't, like, preclude a bigger injury uh, because we see, like, these, yeah. sometimes these... Um, these flexor strains could could be precursors for like Tommy John, but God forbid, let's not have that happen to Nate Pearson. I think that there's still a lot to be excited about. And you know what makes me say, uh oh, Scott, credit card debt. You don't need to be an expert to know that consolidating credit card debt into one low fixed rate can save you money. Start saving today with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. Lightstream's fixed rate credit card consolidation loans start at 5.95% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. Get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000 with absolutely no fees. 
Look, I know it's tough to deal with credit card debt. It can be really overwhelming. Luckily, Lightstream can help. Here's what Ethan had to say about Lightstream. I have borrowed multiple personal loans throughout my professional career, and you guys offer by far the most outstanding overall experience of all of them. I look forward to much more business with you over the years. Our listeners can save more with an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash strike. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash strike, S-T-R-I-K-E. Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash strike for more information. Scott, our email of the day is from Anthony. And he asks, can you possibly spend some time talking updated keeper rankings? One of my teams is a dumpster fire and I wouldn't mind upgrading my pitchers for next year. Can you possibly give me your top five to 10 pitchers going into next season? And I'll, uh, I'll throw one on top of that for you, Scott, because this is something that I've wrestled with in the past as well. If you look like you're out of it this season. The deadline is approaching. You don't think that you're going to make the playoffs. You're starting to plan for the next season. Do you have a problem with fire sailing your team this year to help someone else, but in order to get keepers to help you for next year and years to come? Is that something that you would condone doing? And who are, who are your top five pitchers heading into next oh. year at this point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you 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 got to do with within the within the framework that the league provides. You have to you have to be a good steward of your team. You have to you have to do what's in its best interest. And if you're clearly out of it for this year, that means going all out for next year. Now, I can understand how onlookers in that league might might be like, you know, see you see you trading some stars that you're not going to keep some really good players anyway, that you're not going to keep to a team that's in contention and being like, you know, that's not fair. Uh, why does this competitor of mine get a big influx of talent? Uh, you know, because this guy's going all in for next year, but like, that's, that's a rules pro like if, it, if it's really egregious, that's a problem with the league's rules, not a problem with the person who's looking out for his team's interests. And like, you can set up a keeper league so that, um, you know, like th obvious three for one trades, I'm not going to keep these guys. So I'll get this one that I will keep. Like you can set up the rules so that that's not going to, to going to cause too much mayhem. So as for the top five pitchers for next year, I I mean, the obvious top three are Bieber, DeGrom, and Cole, right? In some order. I agree. That's three. Yep. I mean, as of right now, I'm still inclined to believe Scherzer, we're going to think of him as number four heading into next year. He doesn't have a lot of long-term keeper value because of his age. And so I'm not sure the exact setup of your league how much that matters to you. But I would suspect he'll be in the top five still, and I would still put Walker Bueller in the top five. Uh, probably the leading candidates, if you wanted to bump out Scherzer, would be Aaron Nola, uh, maybe Lucas Giolito, uh, Trevor Bauer. Boo. 
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jack Flaherty's probably still a candidate. You know, especially especially if your league incentivizes long term. I mean, Zach, Jack Flaherty's very young. Lucas Giolito's very young. Bowers, you know, he's getting up there in age. Uh, so you know, that's something to keep in mind. But I would say just from a strict, who are your top five pitchers in a redraft league? Heading into next year, I would right now say Bieber, Degrom, Cole, Scherzer, and Bueller. Yeah, I don't think that's crazy. I, I might put Aaron Nola ahead of Walker Bueller, but we'll see how Walker Bueller finishes out the season this year. He was phenomenal in his last start. Uh, Sonny Gray is a name that I also think is on the cusp here. I think he's inside the top 10. You Darvish is a name that has been fantastic as well. Uh, and then some some younger pitchers who you might want to target in a keeper league if they went at a discount this year and that affects you know their keeper status for years to come. Zach Gallen, Max Freed, Jesus Lozardo, Denelson Lamette, and of course Aaron Savale, who I'd rather own <laughs> over Tyler Glass now. Remind everyone of that. No, why, why don't you say Glass now then? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, mean, I guess Glass now is in that mix too. I was thinking more so like guys that went a little bit later in drafts that, you know. Yeah, if no, it, that makes sense. If it's the round that you keep them the next year, right. you keep them for an right. option no, value. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Uh, yeah, but Glass now is very, very good, clearly. So, um, yeah, but those are some of the pitchers that you could look at heading into next year. Uh, the fantasy trade deadline is approaching as well, Scott. So, some final buy low options, some sell highs. You know, who's who are you personally trying to go out there and acquire for this for this stretch run, Scott? Well, it's interesting that you bring this up uh, because I was just thinking today seeing Eric Hosmer hit a home run for the Padres. Things are still looking awfully promising for Eric Hosmer. You know, he he had that issue with the stomach that had him in and out of the lineup, even put him on the IL for a while, and you know hasn't has been kind of cold since then. But the way his batted ball profile has changed, and the the way he's impacting the ball is still very strong to the point that his expected batting average heading into Tuesday was 303. His expected slug was 639. Like Oof. he's, he's underachieving his, uh, his batted ball profile. So like there was a lot of hype on him early. It's kind of cooled off. And because of his history as this marginal fantasy option, I think Eric Hosmer is very attainable and I still think there's a good chance. He is just a stud the rest of the way. I also like, uh, actually, I wrote an article on cbsports.com when on Monday, five players who I think are on the verge of stardom and included another Padres hitter who we talked about recently, Jake Cronenworth, who's triple eligible for second and short. And uh, his expected batting average is over 400 coming into today. Distant first in that category. And, uh, and 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 yet, like you, you look at the batted ball profile, and there's nothing that screams other than that number itself. There's nothing that you're like, okay, so he's obviously going to regress here. You know, it's not like he's in the 99th percentile in hard hit rate or or uh, average exit velocity. His strikeout rate is low. His BABIP, while high, I mean, it's like in the 370 range. It's not. You know, it's not 420. It's not something where you're like, obviously, this is going to come way down. So, like, Jake Cronenworth, 
seems like he might be on the verge of being a stud. Uh, others in that column included Jesse Winker, Framber Valdez, who you'd be buying high on at this point, but I think it might be worth it. Um, Corbin Burns and Giovanni Gallegos. I think, you know, my number one target, and this was kind of my philosophy heading into 2020, is I feel like the players, and I referred to it already twice in the show, but the players who have the most value by far, the ones who matter the most, make the biggest difference for your team winning and losing are starting pitchers, quality starting pitchers, having guys you can really rely on to set you apart at that spot. So in all my leagues, I'm always looking for more high-end starting pitchers any way I can get them. And obviously, some are going to be more attainable than others. Jack Flaherty owner might be kind of frustrated him with him at this point because he's been unavailable for so long and he's having to build up again. But there's no reason to think Jack Flaherty isn't going to be great the rest of the way. Carlos Carrasco still have a lot of faith in him. Honestly, I don't think Chris Paddock is a bad buy low. It's not. Or it's not. or Jose Barrios, who's kind of, you know, they, they look like they're very similar pitchers at this point. But I think they're both going to be bankable going forward. Even Mike Clevenger. I could, I could see making a play for him. Scott, I will yeah, just I, say, just regarding this article, I'm sure it's a fantastic article, but visually, the one thing that I took away from this was your uh, your use of a Golden Girls gif. Yeah. You have Blanche uh, splashing water on her face. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, I had to cool myself down after, <laughs> uh, after getting amped up over Jake Cronenworth. So, yeah, it, it, it demanded the use of a gif, I feel like, in the article there. Yeah, I mean... I'm not sure who else would be considered a buy low among the starting pitcher class that has genuinely earned my trust because that's that's really what it comes down to. Who can I actually trust at this uber important position? And I think those are probably the prime targets. I don't know how attainable Blake Snell would be at this point, but I'd take him. I don't know. Do you see anybody else there? Or do you have any other candidates otherwise? I have some by lows. No pitchers, though. I think the ones that you hit on, uh, Carrasco and Paddock, if you trust that they are going to be better, and that means you know you trust the stuff being you know better moving forward, obviously, Carrasco. And I'm, struggles I'm telling some, you, you should. You should. You should. Carrasco yep. has struggled with some walks. He's allowed some hard contact this year. Uh, Paddock, do I think he's this bad? No, I don't think he's this bad. I think... I don't think last year was just a fluke. I think he has fantastic command. Um, but we might have some rough stretches coming for him and, and because that third pitch again. So I worry a little bit more about Paddock, but those are probably the names that the high-end names that are worth looking into as buy-low options. Some hitters that, that caught my eye, Matt Olson. Uh, he did hit his 10th home run on Tuesday, but he's batting, he was batting 164 entering that game. Uh, with a 427 slug, his expected batting average was 244, which is probably what we were expecting out of Matt Olson. And his expected slug was 514. So he is vastly underperforming his expected stats. And he's actually performed really well against lefties this year, which is something that has always hampered Matt Olson. Uh, and he's struggling against righties. So eventually, I think that that's going to even out a little bit. Maybe he starts to perform a little bit worse against lefties, but he will. 100, not 100, you can't guarantee anything. But I think he will be better against righties. Vlad Guerrero, and I've mentioned this before, I think he's starting to heat up. And I think that we just, we're not noticing because he's not just hitting a bunch of home runs or anything. But one for four with two RBI on Tuesday, 
He's batting 278 with an 881 OPS in August. The ground ball rate this month is down 17%, and the line drives are way up. And he's another one that he's underperforming his expected stats to this point. So Vlad Guerrero was a name that I was interested in. And if you could pull it off, Christian Yelich and you know any of the other first-round yeah. names, but specifically Yelich stood out to me. He has a 30% strikeout rate. That's just not like Christian Yelich, and he's still impact, impacting the ball very hard. He has a 222 BABIP, whereas he's a career 356 guy. Like, I think we have enough of a track record. I think Christian Yelich is, is going to be better over the next month of the season. So if you can pull it off, that's something that I would look at. And Yeah, there are a lot of buy-low opportunities at Hitter. A lot. I, I'm not sure there's a single hitter that I liked coming into the season that I like given up on that I'm done with. So, you know, I'm thinking somebody like Marcus Simeon, who now is, he started a second straight three hit game on Tuesday. He has three strikeouts in his last six games. Maybe he's starting to turn it around. Even if not, like there's a good chance the guy who drafted Marcus Simeon is on the verge of dropping him. So with that in mind, you could make a pretty weak offer for him and maybe pull it off. Like I'd, I'd be happy to do that for like a Simeon or a Josh Bell. Um, you know, certainly somebody like Nolan Arenado. <laughs> it looks like a buy low. I, I don't think the Nolan Arenado guy is on the verge of dropping him, but I think you could buy him at a discount and uh, such a stable track record. I don't, I'm very confident this next month is going to go better for him. Pretty confident in JD Martinez too. Really just about any hitter I believed in coming into the season. If you're, if you, if you know what a buy low is and you trust that you're genuinely doing it for them, I, I think that's a wise move. Yeah, the J.D. Martinez one, remember the split that I brought up right before the season, Scott, that he struggled big time against right-handed pitching last year compared to left-handed pitching. That has kind of carried over to this year, so that's something I, I really don't like to see out of J.D. Martinez. I still think that he'll be better, but we now have a two-season, not really because it's like a month into the season, but... Um, we have a bit of a sample of him struggling against right-handed pitching now, dating back to last year. And some of the the trade offers I've seen for Nolan Arenado that people are sending in are definite buy low situations. So yeah. I think some people are worried about Arenado, and that's one that I would I would look into acquiring as well. Uh, the, the panic the panic is always high uh, early in the season. After a few weeks, people get ahead of themselves and think this is just who he is now. And you know, so much of my job at that early stage of the season is to talk people off the ledge on players. But like the panic has got to be higher than ever when a month in the season is halfway over, you know? So that seems like a really good opportunity to exploit people's emotions, their, their sense of panic and do some truly heinous things to them. My maybe most obvious sell high candidate right now is Christian Javier, who Went up against the Angels on Tuesday, five and two-thirds, three hits, three earned, two walks, five strikeouts. Did have 11 swinging strikes on 89 pitches. I think somehow if you can turn him into Carrasco or Paddock, it sounds crazy. But last week, we laughed when Scott said, you know, you could trade away Zach Wheeler for Luis Castillo. And then someone emailed us that they actually did it. So crazy things happen in leagues. So I, w- I would try to sell Christian Javier if you can. It just He's not getting a lot of swinging strikes. He's really a two-pitch pitcher. Fastball isn't a great pitch. Um, I, I think we're going to see some regression from Javier over the next month or so. So he's someone I would be trying to sell. All right, Scott, the rest of Tuesday, let's kind of uh, run through a lot of what happened. And I want to ask you if these guys are worth dropping. So 
He gone? Question mark. He gone. He gone. And he gone. And he gone. Shohei Otani, who is someone I wrote in here because he had a terrible game one of the doubleheader, uh, and then he had a great second game where he hit. He had two hits, two RBI, and picked up his third steal of the season. Otani, the hitter, Scott. Where are we at on him? Would you be all right dropping Otani? I think in a traditional like head-to-head points lineup, three outfielder spots, one utility. I mean, obviously, obviously, there's only the one spot you can play him in utility, but there's going there, there's going to be a lot of competition for other players you want to put in that spot, and he doesn't quite play every day, though. You know, it's gone up since he stopped pitching. Uh, I think he's droppable in that format. I think in categories leagues, especially since he's capable of stealing some bases, you probably need to hold on to him. Yeah, I. this is a nice game here, but I tend to agree, and I've told a few people that they could drop him already. It's the injuries just might be affecting his ability to hit as well. So I don't really I don't really mind it. Awesome real life player. He'll probably be great next year again, but I'm a right dropping Shohei Otani. How about Brandon Belak and Tyler Chatwood, Scott? Er, these guys uh, not so great on Tuesday. Uh, Chatwood could not escape the first inning. He allowed four runs. Uh, Belak, rather, could not escape the first inning. He allowed four runs, three of those earned uh, with three walks. He is 47% rostered. Tyler Chatwood just returned from the IL against the Tigers, and he walked five. He allowed two earned, recorded just four outs. He is 59% rostered. Would you drop either or both? They gone. They gone. That was easy. Joey Votto, we haven't talked about him in a while. I assume most people have dropped him already, but <laughs> you don't see this often from Votto. 0 for 4 with a golden sombrero on Tuesday. Scott, he gone? He gone. All right, Joey Votto, we have no problems dropping as well. Is the roster percentage too low on these names? And I brought this guy up before. I used to love Andrew McCutcheon, by the way, this guy. He was like one of my favorite players. I have a few Andrew McCutcheon shirts. He stole two bases on Tuesday. He has 11 hits over his last eight games. He is 66% rostered. How does that roster percentage sound to you, Scott? Too high. It seems too high. Ah, man. He's, he's just such a points league specialist now. I mean, the main thing he does is get on base. He's not, doesn't hit for the power he used to, run like he used to despite the two steals today. Uh, doesn't hit for the batting average he used to. He gets on base a lot, and he hasn't been getting on base a lot this year. And of course, points leagues, there's a much higher threshold to meet to be a startable outfielder just because there's so there's fewer spots to fill across the league. So that it surprises me that he's still rostered in that many leagues. I think I think it should be probably below 40. Oh gosh. Come on, Scott. I will say. We play in a 12-team points league together, our podcast league, and he's available. So I know yeah. it's only three outfielders, but someone has to have injuries. Like, Andrew McCutcheon's got to be owned in this league. I, I mean, he's just he's so good in points leagues. Yeah, he's heating up. I don't, I'm a little bit more optimistic on Andrew McCutcheon, but again, I have a history with him. Jonathan Scope, low-key, he's, he's kind of crushing it for the Tigers right now. One for three with a grand slam and a walk on Tuesday. He's batting 288, 36%. Roster percentage. Is that too low, Scott? Uh, it's not very high, so I, I guess it could be higher. He's certainly hot right now. I, nothing in his batting ball, batted ball profile has changed from a year ago when you know, he was 
he's pretty forgettable. He did hit 23 home runs, but the thing about Jonathan Scope is he walks so infrequently and you know, such a large percentage of his hits are home runs that he, he's kind of all or nothing in, in terms of when he's helping your team and when he's not. And, uh, you know, you're usually chasing the all and end up with the nothing with Jonathan Scope. So I, I still see him as more of a deep league option, the kind of only really worth rostering in the kind of league where, y- you know, your alternatives are so few that you're just going to leave him in that spot. I have a few more deeper league names here for you, and they are both rostered in less than 10% of CBS leagues. Maybe for good reason. We're about to find out. Brandon Belt. I was going to bring his name up the other day. I was toying with it. I'm like, eh, it's Brandon Belt. He has multiple hits in four of his last seven games. He had a three-run homer off a lefty. Julio Arias on Tuesday. He, last I saw, was batting 286. And then Roman Quinn. Look, if he needs steals, he's fast. He had two steals on... Tuesday, he now has five total and has started four of the last five games for the Phillies. So, deeper league, Scott, Brandon Belt, Roman Quinn, any interest? Uh, it depends how deep you're talking. I mean, Belt has basically been sitting against lefties, which disqualifies him from most most uh, most standard mixed leagues. Um, but, you know, he's he's always had an interesting bat, and I'm interested in seeing his home away splits. Oh, he's been crushing it at home. Obviously a tiny sample, but you wondered how much uh, changing the the layout of their outfield would affect a hitter like him, who's always had much better numbers on the road. I've got to look into it, that too. I, I do, I'll do it on one of these next couple podcasts. Look into offensive production at Oracle because I think it has gone up this season. But continue. I'm, most, I'm mostly interested in monitoring how Brandon Belt's playing time changes if he stays hot because that could be a difference maker for him. Like Quinn, I just don't think is very good. He is fast, and steals are obviously a need in categories league. But that's you're just chasing steals if you go after him, which you may have to do. But it's it's never it's never something to get too excited about. What do we do with these guys? Originally, I had Chris Paddock in this little segment here, this cluster of players. But you lean towards Paddock as a is a buy low candidate. You think he? is going to be better. Yeah, I think he was overhyped coming in. I think maybe people assumed assumed improvement when regression was more likely. But I I still think he's good. I still think he's basically must start. You know, obviously he's going to have the occasional bad start as every pitcher does. But yeah, I'd call him by low. Uh, Adalberto Mondesi. He is... Now batting two oh six on the season. It's just like, what do you do with this guy? This is exactly the point of, of, of this cluster. It's like, what do we do with Adalberto Montesi? Excuse me, he's batting two thirteen. He did pick up a hit, and he stole another base on Tuesday. So he has now seven steals, does not have a home run on the season. I think you could drop him in a points league, Scott, but... Oh, yeah. Points you, league. You should go. hold him in, in a roto league. I mean, he's certainly helping you in steals. He's yeah. he's delivering on that, which was the one thing you were you could count on him to deliver coming in. I think two things that are important to remember for for Adalberto Mondesi before we write him off for good as a hitter is that he's 25 years old, so still young, and he's coming off shoulder surgery. So you just you don't know how that's impacting him at the plate. Jesse Winker, who now is 
a hot thing in fantasy again. I mean, his his skills basically declined last year. I think the first year coming back from that same shoulder surgery. So that's, you know, he has much better bat skills than Adalberto Mondesi to begin with. But it stands to reason Mondesi is struggling in part because of that. But his bat skills are pretty poor. And I think there's a good chance he's just never going to be offer much in the way of hitting and yet will always remain a fan. Like he'll be, hmm, would we call him another Billy Hamilton? Is that taking it too far? <laughs> I was he thinking that has earlier. More power potential than Hamilton did. Like, but there's a chance he becomes something like that where he stays in the lineup because he's such a good defender. And anytime he's on base, you know, he's going to run a lot and that gives him some value, but never as much as we're hoping for. I think it's a great point that you bring up. And I, I forgot actually until now that he did have shoulder surgery because it happened so long ago. And then we didn't know if he was going to be ready for the actual start of the season back in March. And then I just assumed with all this time off that like he was just going to be good to go. But Chris has brought that up before as well regarding Winker, regarding Michael Conforto, who had shoulder surgery in his first year back. He wasn't as good. So maybe this creates a buying opportunity for next year for Edelberto Mondesi in drafts. Uh, yeah. It'd have to be it'd have to be pretty low. I am I'm I'm you know, I just compared him to Billy Hamilton, which I guess says it all right there. That's that's obviously looking more glass half empty on Mondesi, but I am I am running out of confidence in him. Scott, who are you more likely to pick up? Spencer Turnbull had a bounce back game, five and two thirds shutout with five strikeouts against the Cubs. Seth Lugo returned to the rotation, three perfect innings with five strikeouts against the Marlins. Lugo is 64% rostered. Spencer Tremble is 56% rostered. Oh, Lugo, for sure. Give me give me mystery box. I mean, this was a good start for, for Turnbull, recovering from a couple clunkers, but there's just not... There's not really anything he excels at. There's too many walks. There's not enough missed bats. He's not really this great ground ball pitcher. And he pitches for the Tigers. So, like, where's, where's the upside for Turnbull? I don't see it. That is fair. A few other notable pitching performances from Tuesday. Luis Castillo, six innings, three runs. Two of them are earned, four walks, nine strikeouts, 16 swinging strikes on 113 pitches. Uh, The opposition in that game was Brandon Woodruff, who actually looked very good. Six innings, two earned runs, eight strikeouts, 22 swinging strikes on 96 pitches. The Cincinnati Reds offense is ice cold right now. So if you see them on the schedule for your starting pitcher, Don't be scared away by that. Rich Hill with a bounce back game. Five innings of one run ball. Shane Bieber on the other side there. Six innings, two runs, three walks, which is not what we're used to seeing out of Bieber with 10 strikeouts. Castillo, Woodruff, Hill, Bieber. Anything you want to add there, Scott? Castillo was almost there, right, to having the start. It's just those four walks. Four walks. There's always something. He ended up taking the loss because Woodruff was so good. So I'm sure... It didn't feel great for the people who have Castillo, but keep the faith. Keep the faith. It is coming. Better days are ahead. I can promise you that. Yeah, that's that's probably the biggest one for me. I mean, it was a good start for Hill, and and I think if like if he got dropped in your league, better days are ahead for him too. So make that make that pick up. I'd, I'd be willing to call him a buy low too, provided the cost was next to nothing. Yeah, his roster percentage was 73%. So, you know, not nearly as low as some of those other names we mentioned, Turnbull and Seth Lugo. He might be lying around in some 10-team leagues, but 
uh, yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, the swinging strikes weren't really there today, but the fact that he bounced back and, and looked good, I think you kind of give him a pass for his, his first start uh, back last time out when he wasn't nearly as good. Let's just do a shout-out to Trevor Story. I feel like we haven't mentioned his name at all this season. He's basically just doing what we expected, so there's not really much to say <laughs> about him. But he's hitting 297 with nine home runs. He picked up his sixth steal on Tuesday. He has a career-low 18% strikeout rate. He is absolutely crushing the ball. He is a top-five hitter in both formats. Yesterday, we spoke about Juan Soto moving into the top five, potentially, in, in next year's drafts. I don't think Trevor Story, uh, Story is far off from that either. Uh, he's been fantastic, Scott. I don't know if there's anything that you really need to add regarding Story. There isn't, though. I mean, the right now, the biggest, the biggest consideration when I'm imagining how the start of next year's draft is going to look is where you slot the pitchers relative to the hitters, because I I feel like I feel like any I, I feel like even more people are going to be on board with going hard after those guys early in the draft and it may push them up. So even in like a Roto league, we see four or five starting pitchers taken in the first round, uh, which might push story down more to the end of that round. I don't know, but that's, uh, that's obviously a different conversation, a conversation for a later time. You know, I'm kind of looking forward to talking about like next year already. Like I'm I'm getting giddy thinking about drafts next year, but uh, (laughs) what I've thought so far is, I think at least the first round is going to look somewhat similar uh, to this year where we're going to have uh, three or four hitters at the top, you know, whether it's Trout, uh, Juan Soto, Mookie Betts, Fernando Tatis is going to be in that mix. Then I think we see, you know, those three starting pitchers in the middle of the first, Bieber, Cole, DeGrom. Uh, and then I think we start to get back into like Acuna, which might even be inside the top five as well. Acuna, Yelich, yeah. Trevor Story. I think those are all kind of like mid first round picks as well. Uh, but it's going to be, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to talk about in the offseason as well. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to answer some of your questions. And we got to get back to stream or not to stream for Wednesday starters. We'll do that here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. 
Welcome back to Fantasy Baseball Today. And Scott, I know that there was a Marlins prospect who made his debut on Tuesday that we potentially overlooked. Trevor Rogers was pretty good in his debut. What do you have on him? Yeah, I mean, kind of a mixed bag. Four innings. He walked five, so he wasn't able to pitch much more than four innings. But he struck out six, 12 swinging strikes on 87 pitches, and he allowed only one hit in the four innings. And he's a prospect. Like, he's not a... He wasn't on any top 100 lists, but he's one of those pitching prospects who, because there's, because the sea of pitching prospects is so vast and because the ones who actually amount to something, you know, is, is a puddle by comparison, uh, it's, it's, it's really hard for anybody, I think, anybody to sort out which of those pitchers are going to become part of the puddle, which is the part of what part of the sea is going to perform that puddle when all those pitchers arrive. And uh, like Rogers looking at his minor league numbers, especially at high class a last year, 253 ERA, 110 whip, 10 strikeouts per nine innings, a good walk rate uh, struggled in five starts at double a after that. But like I was, I was monitoring pretty closely last season because those numbers really stood out uh, in on the minor league leaderboards he has a really good fastball, a secondary arsenal that's a work in progress but shows some potential. And off and on, he's had some control issues, as we saw in his debut here. But the Marlins have... The Marlins, I think, we don't like to give them credit for anything, but I think they're developing a reputation for being good at developing pitchers. I think that's um, fair. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Pablo Lopez wasn't much of anything. Caleb Smith wasn't much of anything. Uh, none of the Stallions were really like these high-end prospects. And, and frankly, Zach Gallon, before they got him from the Cardinals, wasn't much of anything. Now they traded him, so <laughs> maybe they don't really know what they're doing. They can't get out of their own way, man. Look, I hope Jazz Chisholm turns into a great player, but my God, like, it's yeah. a trade away, Zach Gallon. Oh, it's, really, it's really hard to develop pitching the Indians seem to be better at it than any other organization the Dodgers Astros and Rays are both are, are all great at developing players just in general but uh, you know they've done a pretty good job with pitchers but the Marlins I think might be starting to develop a reputation for at least the pitchers as well and uh, Rogers I just you know I'm not rushing out to Adam but I think he's somebody to keep an eye on Tre that's a uh, What's the first name? Trevor. There's a lot of T. Trevor Rogers. Yeah, there's a lot of T. Rogers in the leagues right now, kind of like the D. Murphys of 10 years ago. But yeah. Trevor Rogers is the Marlins guy. Not to be confused with former stallion Trevor Richards. It's just, yes. It's very, Gosh. Uh, the names are way too close there. All right, Scott, let's answer as many questions as we possibly can right now. From A Banter, our head to head categories playoffs starts next week. The Cardinals play seven, eight, 10 and eight games in September over the next four weeks or the final four weeks, whatever it is. Please rank in order who you would want from this team. Matt Carpenter, Tommy Edmond, Colton Wong, Dylan Carlson, Brad Miller. <laughs> I think it's Carlson one. I think I'll still go Edmond two, even though he's done basically nothing. I don't think he's stolen a base yet. He is getting the playing time. And, uh, you know, obviously his sample is smaller than most players up to this point. So I'll go Carlson one, Edmund two. I think Wong's still three, but that's more for the Steel's potential in Roto. Um, Carpenter Miller are basically tied, just whoever's the hot hand between the two of them. These are from our Apple Podcast reviews. Continue to 
continue to send those in. We really appreciate it. From Mo Stats, I wonder if that's like Mo Baseball. I don't, I don't have the thing ready either. Uh, all right, he says, My league has been going back and forth on this SPRP dual eligibility issue. A couple of teams in my 12-team head-to-head points league have put relief pitchers like Matt Foster, Drew Pomerantz, at the time, this was a couple of days ago, and Chad Green in the starting pitcher position. They would pick up seven or eight points here or there and would add 15 to 20 points every night total. Our commission has banned this strategy, but I feel like it's cutting out some players you can add on your team like Tommy Malone or a Taylor Clark. They aren't charged with a start, but they also go three innings and accumulated enough points where it seemed unfair. Let me know what you all think is a good way to handle this. Thanks. So it sounds like you're putting actual relief pitchers in your starting pitcher spots. But if there was no rule about this before the season, I don't think that you should be allowed to just change it midseason. Yeah, I don't know why. Like, it's not so advantageous, at least if it's traditional points league scoring, that I, I, I'd even understand what you, why you'd be compelled to ban it. it. You're basically punting on the idea I can get a lot of production from a starting pitcher in this spot. You know, because a, a really a multi-inning outing from one of those relievers might get you eight points, assuming there's no win, no save. It might get you six to eight points. And if they do that two or three times a week, okay, it's a respectable point total from an SP spot, but it's only respectable. And they're not going to do that every week. And so it just seems like... <laughs> like I... <laughs> The Sparp, the the really good starting pitcher in a relief pitcher spot compared to the average closer, that was that was more advantageous than this seems like it is. This seems like making the best of a bad situation. And I don't see I don't see the rationale for for banning it. And of course there's the issue of why do it midseason too. But I, I, I think frankly it's secondary to why do it at all. Yeah, and it's it's probably a daily lineup league. That's why I would I would think that you have all these relief pitchers in your starting pitcher spots, and if it's not and I'm wrong, then so be it. But I would imagine in a league like that, where you can just have these relief pitchers playing every single day and racking up some kind of points for you, then that's probably why you would do it. But the daily lineup league, yeah, I understand. Like, I don't think that's the most effective way to tackle that issue, but that's... Like, I, I, I... I know this is an unpopular opinion, but I feel like the easiest way to get around obsessive pitcher streaming in a daily lineup league is to have fab or waivers run just once a week. And then you don't have to worry about this. That's that's all right by me. From Moose Ram Prof. My first season isn't going great. I'm in a 12-team head-to-head points league where four make the playoffs, and I'm 0-3. The only bright spot is that this is a keeper league with three keepers for up to three years per player at original auction price. Would it be a good idea to, quote, sell the farm on anyone that wouldn't be considered a valued keeper and overpay for someone looking into next year? Who are some keepers that might have been good values from this year's draft? We mentioned a few of these names a little bit earlier on, but some names that stood out to me when I was looking through the league leaders were Luke Voigt, Dom Smith, Brandon Lau, Corey Seager, Kyle Lewis, Kyle Tucker, Sonny Gray, Lance Lynn, Kenta Maeda, Zach Gallen, Max Freed, Denelson Lamette, Aaron Savale. Anyone else that was going deeper in drafts that you might want to look at as a keeper? Mike Yastrzemski, too. Uh... There probably are. It would be difficult for me to 
to match them up against this list and pull them out of the blue. But I would just stress going after the pitchers hardest in this because there are going to be many more new hitters that emerge off the waiver wire for cheap next year than there will be pitchers. And you just want to have, you just want to give yourself the best chance of having a strong pitching staff from the start of things as you can. From Eve Gotsky, 115. Grade the trade Freddie Freeman and Casey Mize for Zach Gallen, Tyler Glasnow, Kesson Hiura, and Daniel Murphy. I am dropping Murphy for Luke Voigt. It's a points keeper league. So that turns into <laughs> Zach Gallen, Tyler Glasnow, Kesson Hiura, and Luke Voigt for Freddie Freeman Jeez. and Casey Mize. In a league where Voigt is still out there, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure anything you do even matters. But I will say, uh, yeah, that's a good trade even before considering the Voigt aspect of it. Um, I'm not sure if there are, you know, there are keeper considerations, but it doesn't tell us what they are. So I will give this trade a, an A-. minus. I'll give it an A. I like it a lot. From Sub-Alar, 12-team head-to-head category league, should I trade to Nelson Lamette for George Springer and Miguel Sano? My pitching consists of Lamette, DeGrom, Darvish, Freed, Maeda. Ooh, you hate to give up pitching, but that is a mighty fine return. Um, unless you were just crushing it in the hitter categories, I don't see how I could say no to this. Yeah, the only thing I'll say is like Springer's been in and out of the lineup. I think he only played one of the two games or maybe didn't play any of them at all. Just make sure he's healthy. I think if he's fine, like that is a that is a great return. Oh no, he is. It, it, I, I will also say if it's if it's obvious Springer and Sano would be starters for you. If you're gonna trade for the two of them just to have one sit on your bench it's probably not worth it to give up a high-end pitcher in Lamette, just given the state of pitching right now. To stream or not stream for Wednesday, let's run through some of these names. Trevor Williams at the White Sox. Scott? No. How about Dallas Keuchel on the other side? That's a no-brainer. Ian Anderson going up against the Yankees in his debut. Ooh. No. No, you don't want to do it. Masahiro Tanaka against the Braves. Eh, Better not. Max Fried is a... Is he a must-start against the Yankees? Probably, right? Yeah, I would say so, yeah. Aaron Nola's a must-start. Patrick Corbin is a must-start. This person's name is Brewer for the Red Sox, so I assume he's bad. Asher Wojciechowski at the Rays. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Uh, How about Trevor Richards on the other side against Baltimore? No. Okay, I mean, I I kind of thought about it. Uh, John Lester at the Tigers. (laughs) Got blown up his last start. (laughs) I think the last two starts. Decent matchup. The Tigers... (laughs) Stink. I don't know. Somebody called me out for making fun of the Tigers today. I don't feel like I make fun of the Tigers. I'm just, they stink. They do. But they're trying to stink. <laughs> that's that's their game plan right now. So that's, you know, you shouldn't be offended by that as a Tigers fan. That's how you got uh, Spencer Torkelson. Yeah, that's a, that's a sit for me. Jose Barrios, I assume we're still starting against Cleveland. Uh, Clevenger, first game back. You start him, Scott? I think I do. Yeah, even against the Twins. Um, yeah, I probably do in most circumstances. Eliezer Hernandez at the Mets. Yeah, I'd do that. Jacob deGrom is must-start. Mike Fires at Texas. No. Colby Allard versus Oakland. Uh, no. Sonny Gray is a must-start. Adrian Hauser at home against the Reds. Sure. As I mentioned, that lineup is ice cold. Jake Junis at the Cardinals. No. Dakota Hudson on the other side against the Royals. Ooh. I got a points league scenario I would. 
uh, if I was looking for a win specifically, I would worry. Always worry about the whip a little with with uh, Hudson. Taiwan Walker, who apparently is on the trading block at the Padres. Nah. To Nelson Lamette is must start. John Gray on the road. Oh, this is going to be a fantastic game to watch. John Gray against Robbie Ray. What can possibly go wrong? <laughs> oh my God, like, skip. Clayton Kershaw is a must start. Uh, Kevin Gausman at home against the Dodgers. Mm. If I was chasing strikeouts, I'd do that. Otherwise, no. He is Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.